together. You can go ahead and be seated if you'd like. Father, we do thank you. Uh, the songs that we have sung uh, this morning just uh, all reinforce over and over and over again what you have done for us and how blessed we are. And as we open your word, we ask, Lord, that you would cause all the distractions to be set aside and allow us through your Holy Spirit, Lord, to be led and focused in on your word and to glean, each of us to glean something from it today that strengthens our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in the 15th chapter of Romans, and we're in the first seven verses, and uh, chapter... Uh, 15 verses 1 through 7, actually 1 through 13, are, are actually very closely tied to verse uh, chapter 14. And uh, so they're very much a part of that. So you'll see some uh, overlapping as I go backwards a little bit today uh, in review as well as going into chapter 15 this morning. But first seven verses of Romans 15. We are strong, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for, uh, for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Between chapter 14, well, through chapter 14, Paul has made it very, very clear, and just a quick summary, that there are issues that come up in in, in in, came up in their time as well as can come up any time in the church that are not matters of salvation. We might say they're, they're non-essential or, or in the reference of salvation, but they're important to you personally or collectively sometimes in the sense of the way you worship and the way you approach God. And, and so what do you do with these situations? And the, the situations that were coming up at the time in Rome had to do with whether or not to eat meat. Now, it, some of them said we'd just as soon be vegetarians and not worry about it, okay? But the concern was eating meat was either from a Jewish Christian point of view or from a Roman or Gentile Christian point of view. In both cases, had to do with the fact that the meat had been sacrificed, very possibly. Anything that you would buy in the marketplace could have easily been meat that was sacrificed to pagan gods. And those pagan temples and, and priests would turn around and sell a portion of that meat to the, to the butchers, and, and they would turn around and sell it to the public. And it didn't have a tag on it that said, oh, this was, this was sacrificed. No, this wasn't. You know, It was just there. And so they thought to, to spare our conscience in any way of offending God and, 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 and you know, we just won't eat the meat. Well, Paul was saying that meat isn't an issue unless in your conscience it's an issue. If in your conscience it's an issue, then don't eat. And he said, therefore, also, as, as, as a, a, a fellow Christian in Christ, uh, if, if my eating meat, enticing you to eat meat in any way, 
putting you in a situation where you have to violate your conscience in some way in order to be a part of the group or something like that. That would be wrong for me to do that, and, I, and I'm not allowed to do that. That would be how you would make it a stumbling block, how you'd become a stumbling block. Not that you would personally eat meat. You're free to do that, and the other person's free not to eat meat according to your conscience. But if I somehow came along and, and, and compelled somebody to act against their conscience in order to be a part of the group or, or belittled them or something in that category, Paul says, no, it's better just not to eat the meat than to do that. So the issues was eating to not eat meat, the issue of, of what days would be holy days and not holy days. And you've got to understand, again, coming from the Gentile point of view as well as the Jewish point of view, there were numbers of feast days. And, you know, it was, it was interesting. I read one, one thing that I hadn't realized, and it kind of parallels some of the things we go through today. A number of the feast days that were Jewish feast days fell on some of the same feast days of the Romans. And so the idea was, gee, if I, if, I, if I still want to do this, even though I'm a Christian and don't have to do this, if I still want to keep this, there's nothing wrong with that. If I want to do this, I, 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 I want to do this. Okay? And the, the Gentiles over here, but oh, you can't do that on this day. That's the, the feast of Bacchus, you know, the wine of God, uh, the God of wine, I mean. Uh, and... Well, that, that got evolved into some of that kind of stuff, but not, that's more of a, a whole different issue. <laughs> but but the, the, the biggest thing that you can get into the midst of this was, was the reality that, that there was, it was difficult. And so somebody's saying, you know, basically Paul is saying, you know, it's not an issue of the church in the sense of salvation, in the sense of doctrine. However, if you have a conscience that tells you you can't do this, then don't. If you're free in your conscience to do it, go ahead. But in your freedom to go ahead and do it, don't compel in some way someone who, who doesn't agree with you to have to participate in order to be a part of the group. And so it, it creates, you know, obviously it's, the idea is that we, we want to be in such a way we understand that we can come together uh, and have some differences amongst ourselves as to how we practice our faith even, and still be in unity. Now, in some cases, the way we practice our faith may actually cause us to be in different groups. Obviously, I'm not a Pentecostal. Okay? Uh, somebody would say, you know, maybe if you don't know all the differences, why is that not obvious? But I, I won't get into the details, but other than the fact that it's a different style of worship and preaching and, and, and teaching in some ways. Okay? I'm, you know, so you might say, you know, I feel somebody might turn around. In fact, I've got very good friends who say, I'm more comfortable in that environment, in worship. It's a different format, and I really feel that I grow in Christ there. So do I turn around and say, oh, well, uh, anathema on you, <laughs> you know? No, I, I realize there's a difference of approach. And sometimes, even in the sense of our fellowship, we will gather around those differences that, that cause us to be you know, closer together in our worship, this type of thing. But we're not to cast stones. And Paul, that was what Paul was really trying to get at. Stop despising people for their differences that are non-essentials. Stop judging one another. Judgment is God's domain. Stay out of it. 
very clear that he says these things. Now, by the way, as you go through this, note, Paul makes no secret of his personal views here. See, some people say, well, you know, this idea of eating meat, if, 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 if it's a stumbling block, then I can't, you know, I just won't do it. It's not a part of who I am, and I won't even, we won't even deal with it, won't even talk about it. The fact that they're talking about it here means it is something to be discussed, and it's okay to have a personal opinion in the way you do it, but you just aren't to force someone else in order for fellowship to be achieved. And Paul says, it's all, you know, I have no problems with eating meat. He makes it very clear. He has, you know, he says, I see every day as a holy day. There is no such thing as a separate holy day. This is a day that God has made. I will what? Rejoice and be glad in it. I will celebrate my salvation and God's grace every day. And for that matter, I can't celebrate God's grace. I may not do it verbally, but the reality is I can't celebrate God's grace without understanding the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the cross, and the gospel. So every day is a holy day. Do we set a particular day aside to worship? Absolutely. Why? Because it gives us a chance to get together, to fellowship, to worship collectively together as a body. Encourage one another, pray together, open the word together. And it's, again, clear, fellowship is an extremely important part of the body of Christ and getting together. So, you know, Paul has the freedom to do or not to do these things, and he makes it clear that everybody else does. The solution is not to demand your own way, but give space and don't force the issue. Does that make sense? What Paul did insist on, and I've already mentioned it, was that criticism and judgment towards someone who doesn't agree with you in these minor issues, not it's wrong. Stop it. Don't make it an issue of, of fellowship and, and coming together. Instead... For instance, in verse 19 of chapter four, or verse 19 of chapter 14, he says, "Pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding." That's in con, you know, in contrast, you know, there are issues where there must be agreement in the gospel. I just want to make sure. I, this is where I focused last week. There are issues where you must agree. For instance, uh, go to First Corinthians uh, quickly. First Corinthians, uh, oh, chapter one is the probably the best place. And uh, I'll just I'll contain it to just verses 22 through 25 um, for this morning. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, there is a point, you know, some people get to the idea where, well, any kind of a thing that causes a, a hint of a stumbling block for somebody has to be set aside. There are churches today who will not preach the gospel from the pulpit because the hearer in the, and when I say the gospel, I'm talking about the death, burial, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ because it might be offensive to somebody that's never been in church before. 
Paul draws the line here. He says, no, there's some things that we have to preach and teach, and they are a stumbling block for some. So be it. It's not, that's not our option. That's, that's between them and God at that point. Those are issues of salvation that we're talking about that may be stumbling blocks. Issues of what the Word is absolutely clear on that we hold you know, and say, the Word says, well, thou shalt not. And you, and you look at it and it makes it very clear. So we have the issue of the gospel, which can be a stumbling block, but that is the area where we draw the line. That, that area where we turn around and say, we can't, we, we can't not discuss the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We fail to do that. We fail to present the gospel. We fail to present what can save your soul. So that's not what we're talking about. We're, we, what Paul is talking about are issues that don't pertain to the gospel, that don't pertain to the cross. Now, that kind of brings us up to Romans 15. In, in chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, instead of demanding our own way, we are to seek to strive to please your neighbor, to build him up. You've heard me preach this before, but I, I, I have what I call uh, and learned this long before I was a Christian as a, as a child in a YMCA program, the, the phrase, I'm third. In fact, that I was so impressed with that concept in spite of the fact that I didn't have a clue as to what it meant other than the idea of trying to be nice to people. And, and, and I was in a point in time in my life where not only was I wanting people to be nice to me, but I was trying to figure out how that worked for me to others. You know, I, I, my craft time, I took the little block of wood and I chiseled and spiled and I got to I'm third and wove a little plastic lanyard that would hang it on the wall and it says I'm third. And I was really surprised when my, uh, my uh, little sister found it uh, going through my mom's stuff after she'd passed away. Uh, and I've got it stuck in the, in the attic someplace probably, but in a box of stuff I brought home from that. But, but, but the reality is, is that God is first, the other man is second, and I'm third. You've heard me talk about it even through the book of Romans already. So this kind of I'm third attitude. Seek to please your neighbor. Your joy starts to come when you see your neighbor lifted up. Your joy starts to come and you get excited when you've done something that builds them up. Not just you getting built up, but you, you become a part of the, the process. Do you realize how uh, it, it amazes me? And, and would God... He could have made the system in such a way that He just cuts you or, or whatever. You know, and, and, and you're saved. But instead, he's invited the, the, us to be in a part of it, to share the gospel, to be a part of the process. And the part of the building and the maturing, we're all in it together, and we're all in the process of doing it together. He's invited us to participate in the system. And, and, and I want to encourage you, that invitation is, is that when you start to participate, your joy comes, you know, and sometimes initially it comes from, Wow, I didn't know that. And you get to grow. And then all of a sudden there's that point in day, maybe in a Sunday school class, maybe with children, where you, you, you share something and you see their light bulb go on. Or you hear somebody, you know, uh, you know, say after a Bible study that you were involved in leading, I never figured that out before. Or I never saw that before. Or now I get it, you know. And it, it becomes your joy. It becomes exciting. 
It becomes uh, part of, 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 of the, the excitement of being a Christian is to share and to lift up others. Our motivation to do this is seen in verse 3 uh, where you know, Jesus says, you know, uh, Paul says that, that, that Jesus did not please himself but instead, he took the reproaches of, the, uh, of those who reproached God on himself. That's basically what it's saying. He took the reproaches. The reproaches would be the insults, the slanders, the railings that were, that were, were you know, he took them on himself. And, and he says, this is kind of the, you know, he, the way we are to do that idea. We are to take a position where uh, we put God first. And 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 even to the point where we would we would gladly wear the reproach of the culture that they might throw at God in order to say we 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 wear it proudly. And I, I think of Paul and the number of times he says, you know, the number of times I've been uh, slandered and attacked and whatever. For the I, I count that as something as a blessing. We don't normally think of it as a blessing to be you know attacked for our faith, but we're not in a culture where that happens other than than in a more academic kind of environment. Although it is interesting, if you've been watching the news, uh, well, actually, you can't say the news. If you've been watching maybe some of the Christian blogs on the Internet, you actually get more information about it. But some, some pastors that are being uh, in, in, in Texas, that are uh, their sermons and summaries of discussions are being uh, subpoenaed because they have come out and made a statement that homosexuality is a sin. And the, the city's position is that that's an offense. And so, you know, and the, what those pastors are basically saying, you know, go ahead and attack us. We're not changing our position. We gladly stand here. Okay? And that's that idea. Yeah. It's it's a it's a crazy world we live in, okay. So you know this idea of God first, the other man second. Paul's trying to emphasize, uh, and and he's also tells us very clearly in, in in verse four, whatever has been written in the former days, and he's referring to the quote that was in in verse three, which was from Psalm sixty nine, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. Sixty nine nine is the is the reference there. Uh, he says these scriptures were basically written for our instruction today. And it's neat to see Paul tying Old Testament scripture into the, the gospel message for us to understand. It comes together. It's not two separate books, Old Testament, New Testament, but it's the Word of God, inspired, God-breathed. And he, over, he emphasizes that in other places as well. So what was written in former days, referring to the Old Testament, the words of the, of the, the, uh, the prophets, uh, the words of the law, the, the, the Psalms, all were written for our instruction. And with the idea of, of our instruction to help create an environment where encouragement of each other and encouragement of Scripture produces hope in us. And the hope that we're talking about is a strengthening and the resolve of the hope of who God is, 
who Christ is and the fact that we not only have God now, but we have a future. The hope that we have in the resurrection. Anytime you see Paul use the word hope, you can anticipate that it's in a context in such a way that he's probably including that whole picture of, of, of what is now we, and, and God is sovereign and he's going to carry us through. Uh, he tells us in Philippians, what I've started in you, I will what? Complete in you. And we go through and we get to that end point where in its completion, the marriage feast, new heaven, new earth. We have this hope. Not a wishy-washy, I hope. Boy, I better rephrase this. I always used to say, I hope it doesn't rain today. I hope it rains today uh, to uh, that idea of, of an absolute positive, I know that I know. And so he says, the encouragement of each other, the encouragement of the Scriptures together to produce this hope. Again, participating together. Can you get that hope from reading the Bible by itself? Yep, you can. But when we start to get together and we see how different people apply the Scriptures in times of struggle, in times of blessing, in times of, of, of good times, in times of bad times, if you will, uh, times of, of laughing, times of weeping, we realize that as we come together, we, we help each other get through those, but we see how it applies, and it strengthens all the more, even in the midst of tragedies and trials and tribulations, strengthens all the more our hope in what God has yet to do. Romans chapter 5, the first few verses explain that. So that idea of resting in this confidence, this hope. Uh, so again, here in, in, in verse uh, 4, uh, the, you know, the, the Scripture uh, was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And then he says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I thought it was interesting that the same words here, encouragement and, 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 or endurance, if you will, and encouragement are used again. And they're the same words that were used in the, the previous verse. And it, it, all of a sudden it's one of those things. You get it. What's the source of even our endurance or our encouragement? God. Who's, who's going to complete the work in us? God. You know, it's kind of, you know, and, and, and where does the encouragement from the Scriptures come? God. It's His God-breathed Word. God is the source of, of what it is that brings us together. It's, it's the essence of who we are. And so we can't even turn around and take any credit for encouraging one another other than the reality that the Holy Spirit is working through us to do that. And we still need to do what? Pass the glory on through and say, thank you, God, for using me to do this. But not kind of like that, that Jewish attitude. Thank you, God, that I'm like that, that lazy person over here. Well, he was talking about a tax collector, actually. But, but the Pharisee was saying, you know, thank you, I'm not like him. It's kind of easy to say, thank you, God. I'm glad I'm so blessed that I'm an active person in the church. You know, whatever. Uh, we can get sidetracked. Anything that works towards the encouragement and blessing and bringing us together in God is still a byproduct and an act of the Holy Spirit working through us, and so it still belongs to God as far as the glory goes. And what is it that we want this endurance and this, this encouragement to do? It's to grant on us something, to grant us something, to bestow upon us something. 
and he puts it really clear, to live in harmony, to live in peace with one another. You can see now how this ties back to chapter 14. Don't get so sidetracked with minor issues. It disrupts everything. And, you know, I, there, I was reading, it, it's, it's kind of one of these things, you know, the Internet can be a blessing and it can also be a distraction. And in fact, it actually has some things that can be more than a distraction, I know, but, but just in the sense of somebody like me, because I'm a rabbit trail person. And I'm sitting there going through and, and, and I'm thinking, just, you know, you know, things that upset the church, things that divide the church. And, and these were issues, even the, the issues over meat, the issues over wine, the issues over holidays. Those things do divide groups. There's people that divide and say, well, if that's the way you're going to worship, I have to start something different or I have to go over here or whatever. And, and I found, <laughs> you know, next thing you know, I'm finding these lists. 20 things that divide churches, you know. Uh, and, and uh, you know, of course, the, it goes from the ridiculous. Pews or chairs? You know, uh, you know uh, it's never been an issue here because this is, a, is a, a, a building that we don't own. And so it automatically solved the problem for them. We're not going to put in pews because... We, you know, that, that might be something that would be awkward to take with us when we leave. And we can take the chairs. <laughs> uh, carpet or wood? Well, we went with carpet, so we solved that one. Uh, the wood was nice underneath here, but we realized, and the thought crossed our mind, but we realized as anybody got up to walk out, there's such a low, you know, huge cavern under this church. Thunk, 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 thunk. You know, we, 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 it's bad enough as we get into the hallways and stuff. So we said, you know, carpet in here. But, but oh, well, what about color? You know, those are minor, minor issues. And if those things can cause division, you can see how other issues that are more personal, a matter of conscience, can divide issues. But Paul says, you're not, we're not to judge, we're not to condemn. We're supposed to set aside those things and instead look for the things that we have in common that encourage us, build us up, and strengthen us in our walk. And all to the purpose of bringing about a harmony with one another in accord, if you will, in agreement with Christ Jesus with a goal that's set it in verse 6 that together with one voice we glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I have only, I have never been, well, I, I've been in Mexico to, in, in, in various churches to worship and in, 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 in ministry, uh, but I have never been in other countries, but I've, I've, I've seen the videos of church in other places. Man, some places they really do church different. I have to confess, I'm not sure I would be comfortable in all of them. In a Sunday after Sunday, I'm, I'm, Kind of stayed in my way, you know, and I and I enjoy the format, obviously, that we use. But I I can get in the midst of that. I can get very excited still about when God's word is preached, when the word is sung, and how it's done, and realize these people, in fact, they're doing something slightly different, or they hold a slightly different view than I do about certain non-essential theological issues. Uh, to speak in tongues, not to speak in tongues, to, 
to, you know, once saved, always saved, or, or you can lose your salvation. Those, and, and can those, are those minor issues compared to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. And while we may gather according to one way or the other, some of those things go, again, together, we know how to understand it. Paul's even, he's extending past a specific congregation here. He's talking about the body of Christ as a whole. We are one body. Whether we are, and we've talked about two areas that we, you know, one that we'll, we'll, we'll be going to the, in a sense with the, the voice of the martyrs, we'll be going to, trying to help Christians that minister to uh, the people that are, are, are uh, refugees uh, in, in the, the Iraq and Syrian conflict that's going on. Most of them Muslim at this point, but it'll be Christian groups trying to get to them and to minister to them. We're part of that church. We're a part of the church in Iraq. We're a part of the church in Sudan. We're a part of the church where they're, they're being persecuted. We're a part of the church where they're in here. We're part of uh, the churches across town. We're a part of the churches that have worshipped since the beginning of today until the end of today. And any time during the week, too, but just specifically just thinking today. We are one body in Christ, even though we have an immense amount of diversity in cultural ways that we approach in their worship, as well as as uh, the, the the things that we do specifically. You know, some people in our within the framework of our culture, in the, in, in, in the group that I initially was was involved in, which was the uh, the Restoration Movement, uh, the Church of Christ, the Christian Church, and a whole bunch of other underneath that. And and some of them got to the point where they thought, you know, we can only worship God with our voices. Music is a distraction, and it got to the point where music was not just a distraction. It became, for them, a sin. Okay? So th- they started their own group. Are they unsaved? Are the ones who use instruments unsaved? No, we have a different approach, but it's kind of neat to see bridges since then get built that said, we realize that this is, just, this is how we feel about it in our conscience. And we understand we're not talking about salvation, but we... No, no doubt about it. I feel that you, because you use instruments, you have less of an approach to God than we do. We wouldn't be doing this if we didn't. So, but the other side of it is, and somebody might say, without the instruments, you just don't get the bang. You know, uh, I'll tell you what. I've worshipped in both, and 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 I found great joy in both. Nothing like worshiping in an a cappella church, because they still sing all the parts, and it comes from here, not up here. And it is an experience, and it raises the hair, the goosebumps, and everything. It can be a very moving, powerful experience. It's sometimes we'll stop the music and just sing a chorus, and, and all of a sudden you kind of hear the distinctions of what's going on. It is very moving. I really enjoy the instrument. I really like the idea, and if, and if there were more instruments, if our, if, our, if our room could handle the capacity of the volume, if there was more instruments, it would be great. I've been in churches where they have full orchestras, and it adds a whole dimension for it to me. See, but we're all together in the larger picture. We're all together in the body of Christ. with one goal, to be one voice, to glorify the one God 
together. Therefore, Stuart Briscoe's favorite thing is, what's the therefore there for? Therefore, because of what we've just talked about, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And I put here, Christ has welcomed the eaters, the non-eaters, the drinkers, the non-drinkers, and the festives and the (laughs) non-festives. Meaning, Christ welcomed them all. Who are we to not welcome somebody? Because we have an issue at a minor level with something where we just can't agree. And you know, I, I, I take even to this point. There are fantastic scholars on so many. Are you a millennialist or an amillennialist? People divide over that. You know my position. I'm a panmillennialist. And it has nothing to do with all of them. It has to do with it will all pan out in the end. You know, I, I, I just don't make an issue out of it. Do I have a personal opinion? Yeah, I still lean, you know, basically more towards the, you know, I, I still look at it and see uh, the pre, well, I'm not, it has nothing to do with the millennium part, of it, but, but, you know, pre-tribulation, you know, I see it, you know, the object of tribulation, some people post-tribulation, they get so, so frustrated with all these things. Those are fun things to discuss. They're great things to, to issue. We should be able to debate about it and even passionately debate about it within the framework of our group of believers together, but not in a divisive format. Why? Because they don't deal with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Now, within the framework of that, this always boils down to a personal way you have to look at things. How do I know what to do and not to do? And I have people always asking me, there isn't, there isn't, Hardly a week that goes by that I don't get some question from someone at some point at some time, whether it's over the phone or, or in person. I've even get stopped in Safeway, you know. I've got an issue coming up and I don't know what to do. What do you think God's will is about this, you know? Uh, and, and, you know, I, I you know, my, well, my sister did this to me. You know, what should I do? She's making a serious life-changing decision at age 69, she's single, and she's deciding whether to, to stay where she is or move to become a, a care companion to a gal in another state. If she makes the move, she's stuck there. No matter what happens there, that she's stuck. You know, and, 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 and she wants me to help her, I, I, and I tell her, Margaret, all I can do is be a sounding board. I will repeat back so that you can think about this. Here's, how you, here's what I would look at. You know, but, but I'm not going to make this decision for you. I can't. And, and she has nobody else to bounce them off of, unfortunately. But, but this idea of we, we want to know what to do about things. And, and, and it has to do with spiritual things and things that are, they are issues in the church as well. And so I, all I can say is personal evaluation. To do or not to do is how I titled this part of my notes. Can I, and this is how I do it. Can I lay blank, whatever it is that's the issue, and and what I want to do or what I feel led to do, can I lay it on the altar of God and walk away knowing that God is smiling? He's he's given the blessing, if you will, the permission to do or not to do. 
Now, there may be some things you have to wrestle with before you get there. And so here are the things, some of the things that I used. Some of the questions, if you will. My, uh, my dad was a guy who, who, who had to put everything down on paper. And, and every time we went to have a discussion about something that I wanted to make a decision, this is my dad. Pros, cons. Now, my dad got so caught up with pros and cons that, that, that it was hard for him to get past that. But the idea is, is for me, there are some pros. You look at the pros and the cons of something. In this case, some of the questions I ask myself before I actually get to the laying it on the altar would be, is this going to help or hinder my spiritual walk? You know, I, I mean, that, you know, if it's going to hinder my spiritual walk, I don't even have to go to the altar, really. I already know the answer. Don't do it, Bob. Now, maybe it's an issue that I've been wrestling with that's been a matter of conscience for years, but maybe God is showing me in something new and fresh in my walk with Christ that He says, is this really an issue? And I'll turn around and, 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 and again, I still have to... To, to look at it and, and, and still, you know, wrestle with it. But it's no longer is this going to help or hinder as much as, 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 as looking at some other issues. But to help or to hinder my spiritual walk, it, 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 right there. Now, what if it kind of comes into that neutral category where it just doesn't look like it, it, it's an issue for that? Everything has a way of doing that a little bit, but you can't see it. Well, I have another question for myself because I have addictive behavior patterns. I've shared with you some of my addiction issues and, 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 and past and stuff like that that God has helped me through. I have to ask a very serious question. Will this own me? Will it be something that I become obsessive about to the point of distraction? Then I would know it goes back to the first question. It may hinder my walk with the Lord. I may have to wrestle with that first. You see, Is this going to own me or, not, or, or, or leave me free? Is it going to control me in a, such a way that it drives me in a particular direction? How is it going to steer my course? You know, uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, all things are lawful but not profitable. And I think that kind of fit, not profitable, not edifying, not helpful. And that can be, that can be a very individual thing. Very reasonable to ask, is it going to cause somebody else to stumble? Paul, after all I've been talking about, we should include that. Is it going to be a stumbling block for others? And in the process of that, Understanding, is my doing this going to compel people to possibly go against their conscience or, or, or in some way act not favorably to their conscience? Now, from a pastor's point of view, I really I wrestle with that more than just about anything else I wrestle with. Because, not that because I'm, a, as an elder, that I have more authority or or more anything in the, 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 the church than, any, than the rest of the elders as leaders or the rest of you as believers, but because I, you, you've given me the privilege of standing here. And I don't have the right to use this pulpit to influence your conscience in some areas. Some things are things that you have to wrestle with. We can wrestle with them personally, but they're not necessarily appropriate from the pulpit. People say, Bob, you're very quiet about your politics. That's why.
Will it, and then and not only stumbling block for others, in other words, an issue for conscience for others, will it violate my conscience? If it's something that, you know, and it's amazing. The number of things that we do in a day that if we had asked that first, we would, might not have done. But we just get so busy on the day, you know, whatever, that that's when the Holy Spirit convicts us and we realize we have to take a step back and say, wow, sorry, Lord. I really shouldn't have done that. It's, it's not good for me. Thank you for reminding me. And I'm sure you could put in a, a number of other questions that you could build the list with there. The idea is, is that we should take time to wrestle with the non-essentials that we have in our faith and make sure why we, why we stand on them and why they're important to us. And not that they should be important to everybody. And when they are not important to someone else because they hold a separate set of you know, values in this particular non-essential area uh, that, that, that we're at opposed to each other, we're still in the same body of Christ with the same goal to glorify the, the, the God of all creation. God of our salvation. Now, when you look at what God has put together, I think, you know, God the Father through the, the blood of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit building the church, okay? You think about what God has put together and look at the diversity, the backgrounds, the cultures. He has put them all together on one foundation the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross and Christ being the cornerstone. That, that foundation is absolutely fixed. Death, burial, resurrection of Christ, God-breathed word, Old Testament, New Testament, the things that are essential to bringing it together. But I looked at this and I thought, it's really quite amazing when you think about the fact that God brought Jews and Gentiles together under one building. Could you get a more diverse, opposed group of people to come together and ultimately become fellow worshipers together? I don't think you could theologically find more opposites. And God has built a, a whole church out of it. And I, I was so kind of hot with that, and, and, and it took me to, to just something to share with you quickly out of, out of Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Uh, Paul writing to the Ephesians, he says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, that's what they were called by the Jews, by what is called the circumcision, the Jews, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But <laughs> now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, the cornerstone of this foundation. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in this flesh the, dwell, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through cross, 
thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him, Christ, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Build on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also have be, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul just emphasizing the awesomeness of the unity, the diversity brought together under the blood of Christ and the foundation of the gospel the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the cross being the cornerstone. Yes, it's a stumbling block to a lost world, but it's the foundation of what we believe, and that's what we build on. And we may not all build exactly the same. And I got myself a picture right in the middle of that. And you got to just bear with me when I do this. You're, I hope, I'm assuming you're all familiar with, with, with building, cement blocks, cement building blocks, the cinder block type. Okay, and the average one you look at on the side, there's two holes, okay, and you put it together like this, and there's a piece of rebar steel that goes normally through every few holes, and there's cement poured down all of it to make it really solid, okay? To me, I looked at it, the foundation is laid, okay? We're building on it, and it's like God has given me a cinder block, and the stuff that goes into the holes is kind of like my, you know, the things of my conscience. I don't do everything the same way everybody else does, but yet when it all comes together, it causes this wall to be built that isn't a dividing wall, it's a ball of unity. And it, even though the, the interiors are slightly different, we're all, we're all encased by the same Holy Spirit on the same foundation, and that's what counts. And so if there's anything else I could leave with you today, that was it with that context of understanding as, as, as Paul put it here, and he puts it over and over and over again, that, that, uh, that we might reconcile us both in God and one body through through the cross. Through the cross. Every Sunday we come to this point in the service where we emphasize what happened through the cross. And again, this is a distinctive. If you don't do communion on every Sunday, does that mean that you're not worshiping God? No. There's lots of churches that do communion once a year. Are they still worshiping? Yeah. But in my conscience, and I have to share this with you, I feel obligated to emphasize this. This is where God has called me. And to me, having communion in every worship service is a part of the worship, and I'm missing something when we don't do it. And so I don't care who preaches up here, it always ends up coming back to the foundation, the gospel, and the cross. And what happened on it? The God of all creation emptied Himself, became flesh, the bread, broken for us, and poured out His blood, the wine, the cup, so that we might have eternal life. I ask the ushers to come, take the uh, emblems, pass them until we've all been served and we'll share together.
verse where it talks about the blood and the flowing mingled down, never such love and sorrow ever joined together. It's an amazing picture. And, and uh, then ending with that whole thought, if the whole world were mine, it wouldn't be insignificant in the sense of to offer it as a gift because it, wouldn't, it, it couldn't do it. Think about that value of the salvation that Christ has bestowed on us, that he's given us, that he's brought to us and, and purchased for us. The whole value of the world, if you will, could not purchase one person's grace. Isn't that an amazing thought? And yet I get to rest in that every day and know that he's going to complete the work in me. I just, I just, uh, wow. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, in the meal, he taking bread, giving thanks, and breaking it, and he gave it to the disciples. And again, with that very clear picture, this is my body that has been broken for you. And he asked as often as we would share this, that we would do it in remembrance of him. taking the cup of blessing at the end of the meal. He gave it all new significance, or maybe you could say he fulfilled its significance, but the real picture is that he gave us an object lesson picture. It's like he knew I needed help. He said, this is my blood. And it's been poured out for you to purchase the covenant. He's referring to the covenant of grace, the completion of the law in himself, so that we could approach the throne of God through him in in our salvation. He purchased it. That's why nothing else can come to it. The the blood of God in the flesh purchased it. There's nothing in creation that is as valuable as that, you see. There's nothing that you could offer. And he said, as often as we drink this, do it in remembrance of him until what? He comes again. And then we're going to share it in the marriage feast in a whole special way. Father, we come this morning once again with thanksgiving. Lord, there is no words when we start to use the word thank you that that can really encompass the reality of what you have done. The grace that you have given us, the love that you have shown us, the mercy that you've poured over us. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would cause us to be willing to be used by you on a day-to-day basis, to work the work of Your kingdom, both in and outside of the church. But also, Lord, to be willing to yield to You for You to shape and to mold us in the things of Your grace and Your mercy and Your love that will call, call us to be closer to You and closer together. We worship You. We praise You. We thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen.